Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Okay, welcome to the Truth to Power show. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and this is Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, uh, today's, today's guests are Niha Gautam, Gautam, uh, Gautam and uh, uh, Brandon Herman. They're both filmmakers in Brooklyn. Um, and uh, we're going to start the conversation about what, uh, well, first of all, welcome, welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having, thank us. You for yeah. having us. Thank you. So we'll start the conversation with the impact of films in your mm-hmm. life and uh, think films or stories that have had a big impact on you. So why don't we start with Brandon, some uh, either in childhood or in adulthood, uh, films that have really had a big impact on you. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I, I, um, I think Star Wars has been a big influence on me. I just love really big popcorn movies. And yeah. um, if you could imbue that with some kind of real heart and morality and message, then I, I think that's really exciting if you could achieve spectacle and still have heart at the same time. So uh, yeah, that's always been added. I mean, I've just loved uh, sci-fi and the kind of um, the optimism of it, but also the way it kind of cloaks conversations about our current world in metaphor. Uh, I find intriguing and amazing. Yeah, I know that uh, this science fiction actually has a long history of being a social commentary and social progress, pushing forward the envelope, pushing the envelope, sure. especially in um, uh, Star Trek. Sure. Has had a big influence on... Uh, social conventions and, and ways in which we look at multiculturalism and such. There's so. an amazing thing I've seen where the uh, uh, you know people at NASA in the earliest days and developing some of the, the ships and the communication, all these things, they were influenced by Star Trek mm-hmm. from earlier in the 60s. And they had been influenced by earlier space things and, and other earlier space writings. And then uh, it was kind of a back and forth for several generations of um, – Star Trek inspiring real scientists and, and, and motivating kids to becoming scientists. And then those scientists coming up and inventing stuff that influenced the next generation of Star Trek. And so the, the back and forth of that is fascinating. Yeah, yeah great, great. Anyhow, would you like to come in with some stories or uh, movies that mm-hmm. have influenced you over the, over the years? Yeah, Sure. Um, I'll talk about movies that have had impact on me in my youth. So um, up until like my early 20s. But um I am an immigrant and um, my I used to always be around my grandmother because my grandmother used to babysit me and she used to watch early Indian cinema, like black and white mm-hmm. Indian cinema. Um, so I remember, you know, seeing stories, um, Raj Kapoor, all, all the, the greats. And then um, Mira Nair directed a film called Mississippi Masala, which had a huge impact on me. Um, my family's working class. Um, it was one of the first films which I had seen working class Daisies, um, mm-hmm. you know, in their lives in the United States and kind of also struggling with um, things like internalized racism, colorism, um, anti-blackness. Um, that film had a huge impact on me and, and um, on my identity. And um, so and also another film called Slam um, starring mm-hmm. Saul Williams, which went into it was a beautiful film, um, a lot of like spoken word in it and um, a lot of mix between narrative and, and documentary form in it as well, but kind of dabbled in looking into the into mass incarceration and and kind of the life of this this man that was, um, you know, going through this, his, his case. Um, Do the right thing, <laughs> Spike yeah. Lee, classic, um, I, I, you know, I'm... 
uh, being I'm living in Brooklyn now, but I, I grew up in Queens, but um, just very influenced by by Spike Lee. And yeah, um, a bunch of others as well. But those are the, the ones that come up right now. Yeah, I mean, I recently saw um, the movie. Uh, actually, I saw a play, a musical dealing with uh, Afrofuturism. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed mm -hmm. someone else about Afrofuturism and how uh, telling the stories of, of, of uh, diverse voices in science fiction is so important and being able to uh, mix it with the cultures and, and the interculturality of uh, interculturals of different places mm -hmm. around the world and not just telling, you know, standardized stories, but even, even mainstream, uh, you know, major stars starting to get stars that are finally we're starting to see diverse voices and stars, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And then um, why don't we talk a little bit about story structure and how that informs your own filmmaking. So if Nia, would you like to start and how, how you do mostly documentary, I believe you tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. I got into media after I finished my undergrad in my mid twenties, I started, um, I took a photography class and I, you know, I was doing still photography. It was freelancing for a long time. And then I got into moving image and I was freelancing for mostly nonprofits and foundations that wanted to kind of highlight the, the work that they were doing, um, the, the campaigns and um, different things. So I got into that, but a lot of the, the organizations I, would, I was working with were in Queens doing immigrant justice work, um, doing different, different campaigns. Um, I was friends with someone working with an organization called Damayan, um, which works with um, domestic workers, Filipina domestic workers. And um, there was one woman that I profiled. Her name is Juana. And um, she had a really interesting story. She she was really inspiring. She had a, a case against um, this her employers who um, basically it's 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 a, a form of um, labor trafficking. She was not paid for her wages, so she had this this case which um, politicized her and she's now an organizer and fights for other domestic workers. So I did a profile on her and I uh, screened that film at the Queens Film Festival nice, um, nice. in 2014. In 2015, I wanted to do something more personal. Mm -hmm. um, I am queer and I'm Desi and an immigrant and um, a big part of my healing and my um, community is creating safe spaces. And um, I lived in a, a collective home with about six other um, queer women of color. And I kind of, you know, it was a, it was something that we talked about, but when I told people kind of what we were doing, people were always surprised. So I was like, you know, I think that it would do a lot for young people to show kind of how we do this. So I um, basically made a, pro a documentary about our home that we created and, it was called Chosen Family. Um, and um, yeah, I think it also, it also kind of delves into how housing is, is a huge issue and how we create homes and, and spaces for ourselves as, as queer people of color um, that are safe and that we can thrive in. So those are the, the two documentaries that I've, I've worked on. I want to get into narrative. Um, I, I dabble in a lot of different forms and I love... Um, you know, I have a kind of multimedia disciplinary, but um, yeah, I want to be, I want to be doing more narratives. I have a lot of stories that I want to tell, um, you know, nonlinear form is, is something I want to be able to do. Um, but when I, I think of a story, I think I, I want to 
kind of feel really intimate with uh, who I'm profiling or who I'm getting to know and kind of understand what they're going through and um, also look for visuals that are really dynamic and um, and it's yeah it's always a journey like coming yeah. up with a film it's sometimes it's kind of like writing a thesis or something where you are doing all this research and then you have something at the end and then you go back and you kind of relook at <laughs> yeah. you know what mm -hmm. you were trying to say and have to re uh, you know kind of look assess and see if, if that's the same thing and sometimes you have to change it and be open to that process good good and i understand brandon you have a studio search and rescue that ended up becoming a, a safe haven you know if you talk a little bit about that yeah yeah it, what you're saying is really interesting to me uh my assistant is um uh an lgbt uh producer uh she produces all these lgbt events one's called kalalolo that um she just did a show at coney island that was incredible but she comes from uh, a commune background and uh, she left her her parents house very early and was living there uh and met a lot of other people and, and kind of where we are uh which is on the north shore of staten island right now there is a scene that uh didn't have a place so a year ago just over a year ago uh i took studio space that was meant to be a place for me to work do film and video work some photography work um but the way we're set up we can have public events and we could have bands come in and we could have poetry readings and things like that and largely she curates those and so she's done her kalalolo show which she she describes as a queer variety show with uh, singers and dancers and burlesquers and clowns and drag and everything that you can imagine um really really powerful important stuff and we've had other groups come in and, and like i said do poetry readings do cd release parties there um so the studio so the, the production company is called search and rescue productions and the mm -hmm. studio is search party studio and um yeah, if people are interested in, in doing stuff there, that's certainly something that I love to talk to people about. We like having stuff come in. We like having art projects go up there. We're talking to one of the local arts groups now about doing a monthly screening series. Um, and again, it's just there There are so few venues in our neighborhood to just be able to um, go beyond just my own work, which you know takes place ostensibly Monday through Friday. Uh, sometimes we have shoots on the weekend. Um, but to also open it up and say a few times a month we could have performers come in. Um, and then, yeah, just in, in the work that we're doing, you know, it's just a matter of trying to be inclusive and diversive and empathetic to, to other people. Good, good. That's really great. I feel a sense of empathy is driving both of you, but to go a little bit more about what the uh, compelling visions that drive you is, are, uh, and then, um, you know, what really gets you, I guess, is the moral compass, you know, what your moral compass is to help you navigate in your, whether it be in your art or in your personal life. And, um, what values drive you as a person? So, Brandon, you want to start? Oh, God. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just just that um, as simple as having empathy for other people. And uh, yeah. Hippocratic Oath is first, do no harm, right? Just don't don't harm other people. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's uh, naive to boil it down so simply. But I think, you know, if you go back to that um, and you just go back to that concept of kindness and love and... Uh, you know, you could wrap it up in robots and helicopters and all these mm. explosions, and, and you could tell a fun story that doesn't have to hit people over the head with a conversation about, let's be nice to everybody. Yeah. You could tell a story where you have your bad guys in your story doing bad things, and you're supposed to know as an audience they're doing that, <laughs> they're the bad guys. Yeah. And you have your heroes, and you you, you design what your heroes are, and, and how well they care for their friends, and, and what they prioritize. Um, so, you know, what... <laughs> 
when you're looking at the New Testament or you're looking at Harry Potter, it's like, here's a, here's a character, here's somebody who presents a strong moral viewpoint, who cares for their friends, who is, cares about freedom, who um, is fighting evil. And even, when yeah. it, and even when it brings harm to them, they, just, they need to stand up and fight evil. Good, good. Sneha? <laughs> um, I think for me, I'm, uh, my background is a community organizer, and um, I got politicized as an activist while I was in college. Um, so social justice and um, just thinking of the fight for marginalized and oppressed peoples um, is kind of the background of everything I do. I'm always um, thinking of, you know, it's also the personal is political. So a lot of the yeah. stories that I'm interested in are stories that I can relate to. I'm, like I said, I'm an immigrant. I'm queer. Um, I'm a woman of color. So, you know, I, I'm always focused on, even when I'm working on a project, like who am I hiring? Who am I working mm -hmm. with? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Not just the stories I'm telling, but I'm also, you know, thinking of representation. Representation is a form of power. Um, you know, what stories I want to highlight. And, you know, many times I watch films and um, I'm always giving my own vegetable test. <laughs> like, yeah. And um, just, you know, want to see more dynamic characters and people that reflect real, you know, characters that I, uh, people I saw growing up, um, like my mother, like my family, like, you know, my mentors. Um, but I, you know, I do want to do something with the, the media that I'm making as well, whether it be empower someone or, um, you know, tell a story that hasn't, is not represented in mainstream media. Yeah. Um, so important when you bring up personal political, that's one of the major themes of the show and how, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about how um, you know, the experience we have in a personal level, the, the kind of things that we think about uh, are very relative to us are actually reflective in the society as, as a large, at a large. And, um, you know, if we could talk a little bit about um, kind of like, uh, you know, if everything were ideal, if this were utopia, you know, if this was kind of your vision of, of, uh, of what the world would, would be like, if it was perfect, what would it look like and how would you feel? So Neha, would you like to start with that? Yeah. <laughs> my utopia. Yeah. Um, the, so, you know, I, for my undergrad, I, I studied history and international affairs. Um, so, you know, I believe in human rights. I believe that everybody should have access to health, uh, you know, drinking water, food, shelter, and safety and, and housing, um, health care, et cetera. I think that, you know, we, we definitely have an, enough resources and, and wealth and capital in this country to, to produce that. It is a man-made, um, you know, poverty is man-made. And, uh, you know, I, I think that everyone deserves a certain level of uh, dignity and respect, uh, no matter who you are. And those are things that I live by. So I would want a world that encompasses that. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, some people call it socialist. I think it's, it's not really socialist. It's just taking care of your people as citizens. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's the, the world that I want to see. Of course, I want to see a world where, um, you know, women have the same rights to do the things and, and to, uh, you know, have access to things and be represented in their careers and choices and safety and, um, the, the ability to move. Um, I think I also, as an immigrant, I'm thinking of borders a lot, um, and I think that a lot of people move, you know, are, migrate because they don't have a choice. 
Mm. And because it's it's forced migration because of the the conditions that are, you know, put against them in, in where they are. So, you know, you know, thinking of my family's story, I, uh, I you know, I I didn't have a choice to come here, but, you know, thinking of what pushed them to come here. Um, and I think that trauma, migration is trauma for a lot of people. So mm. minimizing trauma, intergenerational trauma is something that I am working on. I'm an educator. I work, um, I've been an educator for 12 years, but um, I teach film now. And, you know, working with youth, uh, I see a lot of intergenerational trauma um, as well. And I know that, you know, media for me is not the end. It's a medium to do something. Um, so I'm trying to use that um, in the work that I'm doing. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you. So, Brandy, I feel like you talked a little bit about also, uh, you know, ideal world utopias and, you know, when you talk a little bit about evil and such and what's wrong with society or misguided about society. Uh, yeah. I, first, I want to agree with everything you just <laughs> said dead on. Uh, I don't mind calling it socialism, but sure. Um, but the the only thing I would add to it on top of it is um, people seem so afraid. And like every month I see an article, robots are taking our jobs. AI is taking our jobs. Mm. Let them take it. Yeah, We are meant for grander things yeah. than these nine to five uh, physical labor jobs. Yeah, We need to fight for universal basic income. We need to fight to replace all of these boring jobs with robotics and automated systems and all that stuff. And we need as humans to live as explorers and inventors and artists yeah. and, and go out and explore the universe and go out and create brand new works of our experience and not punch a clock. Yeah, essentially, when you look at the Star Trek universe, they don't even have money. They have like some kind of money. I believe they have some kind of uh, like yeah. barter, or I don't even know exactly what the system is. But it's a very different system. Than, the, yeah, and, yeah, and more than anything, they do it for prestige. They do it because they're curious souls. They're on the Enterprise not so they could earn a paycheck, not yeah. because the society is set up in a way that if they don't have a job, they're left to starve. Yeah. They're doing it because they know that that's what we're meant to do. They, they have a curiosity of knowledge and they want to go out there and explore. And they know that, okay, there's there's a boss. They have a boss that they report to, somebody who has more experience than them, and they'll work their way up. But it's not a rat race quest for money, um, which is just kind of a proxy for uh, food or in a house, which should be taken care of. We have the resources. We do not have a, a, a truly scarce society. We don't. We have near infinite resources yeah and if we just uh, could distribute it in a way that um everybody has the basic stuff taken care of and we put the the manual labor portion of that onto robotics and artificial intelligence and all these other things you know mm -hmm. you look at what you know you'll hear people complain of why socialism didn't work in 1950s russia or something like that yeah. well, that's not the world we are in 2018 where I've got Siri in my pocket and there are, you know, robots on assembly lines and things like that. We are within a few years of being able to hand all of that over yeah. if we if we have the will to do it. Mm. Yeah. And then also, uh, as far as like the, the visions of, of our own personal identities, and how we've created, you talked a little bit about this, about how, you know, we want to view ourselves as like creating a, um, our visionaries and an artists and such, not to get... Um, yeah. Like kind of bogged down. Would you clarify that? Yeah. My wife and I would joke that the not to be a spoiler, but at the end of the movie, Wally. Yeah. And and if you haven't listened, yeah. earmuffs for the next thirty seconds. At the end of the yeah. Wally, there are these humans that are like 
floating in these chairs in a spaceship, doing no work, just feeding themselves. Yeah. If that's what you want, knock yourself out. Yeah. I'm not going to take it from you. But I think that we're meant for grander things. And I think that uh, when we have all the work taken away from us, I think people are going to have um, a quest not for fulfillment from work, which is something you'll hear a lot. Yeah. Like people need the fulfillment of working for someone else and helping someone else make a fortune. Uh-huh. They'll have a, they'll need a fulfillment of new discoveries or new creation, new art. Yeah. I think it's important to recognize that. Uh, and now if you talk a little bit about um, kind of about your identity and how, you, you know, in response, a lot of this, a lot of times like we get trapped in response to some other, uh, uh, some other, uh, you know, system, but rather creating the identity, you know, as, as individual and as a artist mm-hmm. and how, and what's kind of influenced that. Have mm-hmm. you talked a little bit about that, but just continue. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I don't know how to say this sounding hokey, but um, like, I think that when I allowed myself to call myself an artist, I realized that it was part of a spiritual journey Yeah. Um, in that I was creating art, art to heal and to heal other people. Um, I can't talk about also, I forgot to mention this earlier. I can't talk about the world I want to see without talking about um, earth democracy and um, the commons and, you know, liberation for (laughs) not just humans, but living things and um, the elements. And um, I think that, you know, part of what is going on is that a lot of us are, um, I mean, as a history major, I've also looked a lot as at the last hundred years and how much our lives have changed in terms of um, how we consume food, things like that. Like, yeah, we have, um, you know, an, an enormous amount of technology. But my, I, when I look at my lineage, I know that my my ancestors were growing their food. They were working in, in agriculture. Most of this world worked in agriculture a hundred years ago. Mm. And, um, you know, I have been very intentional in kind of getting connected to that history and, and those roots. Like I've been doing a lot of um, urban farming and, and um, talking about earth justice and, and things like that. Um, but I think that a lot of, um, you know, our, a lot of young people have been kind of um, removed from, from that um, legacy that our ancestors have had. And um, I think it provides a lot for us. So I know that informs a lot of what I do as well. And, you know, being in a country where I don't have land, like I, this is not my land. I don't really, I don't own anything. Um, But, you know, at the same time, if I were to go to India, I don't have land there either. There's not something that I can call mine. But, you know, putting my hands in the soil or, um, you know, being a part of, something lets me see that I'm also connected to everything going on um, and the well-being of the environment. And um, and so I, you know, I want to, to care about that as well. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely identify with that being of two worlds as well, being South Asian and having, you know, going to Indian communities and then having them kind of feel like, or even going to India and feeling like, oh, you're American or you're like from there and then being in America and feeling like a little strange about that so I, I definitely identify that and also to, to pull up the thread about the um vegetarianism and, and agriculture and and about um providing for the um world i know brandon has a, a passion for um vegetarianism i believe or veganism or what is your yeah you yeah. talked a little bit about that in your yeah, yeah. well I was, i've been a vegetarian for about 28 years now mm-hmm. 
in about a year ago, um, after kind of slowly heading that way, uh, became vegan, became yeah. strictly vegan. And, the, and we were talking about it because it was, a, it was this idea of personal being political. Is, you know, when you removing from the conversation because it's so polarizing, removing from the conversation the rights of animals and that we're torturing and murdering millions upon millions of millions of animals. Let's table it. Okay. You know, if, if you don't care already, I'm not going to convince you right now. So let's yeah. table it for a second. Being vegan reduces um, the the methane. It reduces the the runoff into the water supply. It has ripples that help and benefit society. Mm. Um, it would, if on a larger scale, as as it continues to grow, the movement, um, it would free up acres and acres and acres of land right now being used mm. for all of this. So uh, that idea that um, the things that you do um, are actively either benefiting society as a whole or they're harming society as a whole and you have to make that decision and that's separate from you know a question of um, animal rights or something like that Mm. um so yeah i mean yeah yeah good good so now um to talk a little bit about how we enter dialogue with people you kind of started to begin on that uh you know dialogue as as an artist you're putting stuff out there you're getting in dialogue with your in the community with other filmmakers and how you know, each of you has a specific vision for what you'd like to see in the world. And, and how do you find that dialogue enhances or, or changes your vision or uh, tries to you know, shape it? So the dialogue with, with other filmmakers, the dialogue with collaborations and such. So now you want to take that or you want to start off with that? You get something when you're making that? Because you do a lot of documentary stuff where you're dealing yeah. directly with the... Um, I think it's in, the, in terms of collaboration, it's like... Uh, yeah, you, you know, you, you meet people all the time. I'm constantly talking. I'm constantly talking to everyone that I come across. And I find stories really interesting. I find people really interesting. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I gravitate towards people um, that have stories that I want to know more about, that I'm curious about. There's always a story that I want to know more about. And um, yeah, could just go on learning more about and um i i think that process is really interesting i work with youth and so i teach film to middle school and high school youth and a lot of times they're my inspiration they uh, are going through a lot of really real things um you know their lives they're you know falling apart they're going through divorce trauma um you know some of them have been uh, in foster care, they've been through the system. They have very complex, you know, stories and kind of assessments of what who they are and what they're going through. Um, so, I mean, it's it's kind of the people that I come across every day, and I just you know have a conversation with them, and if they're open to it, I I usually uh, see if they're open to continuing the dialogue. Yeah, and how is your? Do you find your preconceptions before entering that dialogue have they changed, or in what way? Can you tell us an example of how maybe you came into a story or came into a dialogue with someone who you thought you know they'd be such and such, or they'd be X, Y, and Z, or the story would be about mm. X, Y, and Z, and then how they changed that vision? Mm. Are they were able to bring you a new perspective or new, uh, new inlet? Yeah. Well, I think as an educator, I I work for Brick Arts Media, and I um. I am, you know, a lot of times working with young people and they're making their first films and um, and I'm helping them with that process. And, you know, some I think a lot of times I, I just think that, oh, they don't have a lot going on or they're just consumed by video games or their cell phones or pop 
popular culture, but um, I had this one student who wanted to do a documentary about her own life. And she had always, she had been in foster care since she was young. And um, she told me, I, I asked the students, I gave them a bunch of prompts. And um, one of the prompts was that they could talk about a challenge that they overcame that kind of informed them in how they live now. And she said that she was kind of thinking about how she be, she could become independent because at the age of 21, she would no longer be um, of the state's responsibility. So, I, you know, as a youth, she, I, you know, I was just kind of baffled by how she was kind of taking this in and, and dealing with it in her everyday. But she was also making a film about it and talking about it. And so, um, you know, ready to share that story and... Um, I, I think I just, I, you know, people are always looking at, at young people, at youth um, and thinking that they don't have a lot going on, but they have complex ideas about, um, you know, institutions, about institutionalized um, racism, things like that. And I'm, I'm just, uh, I think I have to check myself sometimes and, and just see them as people and not just, um, you know, children or people that don't have things to say or have not been through um, struggles of their own. Yeah, it's amazing how um, the kids uh, that I teach or the kids I encounter at the library, they have so much, such a rich experiences and sometimes there's struggles that that inform them as a person and that give them a a new perspective and and they have many lessons that I I can learn from, you know? So Brandon, what about uh, when you're telling a story or when you're reading a story like or or maybe we'll focus on craft on, on craft when you're creating a story. Yeah. That what kind of discoveries you make in uh, or even just in your personal life. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll tell a story. I did a music video recently for uh, an artist, and the artist's name is Snail Mail. She's 18 or 19 years old. She got signed by a, a record label called Matador right out of high school. And the brief was sent out to a couple different directors saying, we want to make a video for this song. And uh, it's called Heat Wave. And uh, she wants to be playing ice hockey in it. She played ice hockey as a kid uh, from the time she was uh, eight to the time she was 16. And she wants to be playing hockey in the video. That was it. And each director had to fill out uh, a pitch. You had to design like, okay, well, what's my take on that going to be? So in, to prepare for that, I wound up watching three or four of her performances, some of which are these kind of sessions where she's being interviewed between songs and I read a whole bunch of articles about her where she talks about being a queer artist, where she talks about being on the hockey team and the boys that she played with just being jerks. And now they're all these alt-right Trump supporter guys. And so when I did all that research, when I sat down, the pitch that I wound up submitting was that she walks into this um, uh, bar or restaurant um, on a hot summer day. There's an air hockey table there. She starts playing air hockey through the miracle of music video nonsensicalisms, she's in the, the air hockey game. She's on a hockey rink now. And it yeah. looks like Tron. If you look at it, you know, this brief got picked and we actually made this video. And uh, it looks like Tron. It's We lowered all the lights in this hockey rink that we've got. We put all these blue glow lights everywhere and around the goal. And the, the, the story of it, the narrative, is that she's alone and these four uh, skaters, these four guys, start to encroach on her and start to kind of bully her and at first she tries to flee them, but they chase her and slam her into the wall. And then they, and then when she kind of regains herself, she's able to come back and conquer them. And she's able to literally skate circles around them. Right. Yeah, yeah, so there's yeah. this thing where like it came out of this perspective that, I mean, you can see on the radio, but I'm a 42 year old white guy. 
it's not an experience that I've had, but it came out of this experience that I learned about this young girl and what she goes through and that, you know, became something that if you look at the comments on the video where people are having kind of, you know, visceral reactions to, to some of that or really kind of understanding where a lot of that comes from. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good to be able to uh, open ourselves up to different perspectives, open up open ourselves up in our storytelling, different perspectives and understand that empathy Empathy. The empathy is so important. I think we discussed a little bit about that, the empathy and how um, it's so easy to get lost in our own experiences and, 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 and amplifying those experiences, but then ultimately coming to a place where we understand that, um, you know, that we all are human beings ultimately, and that we all have a wish for, you know, happiness, that we all have a, a desire to overcome suffering and that, um, you know, yeah, yeah. So now you want to talk a little bit about kind of um, anything coming up for you as far as like, the um, different ways in which we can approach empathy. We can kind of like uh, maybe something about empathy or something about like, you know, w- w- the purpose ultimately, I guess, is to kind of create in your viewer. Mm-hmm. Empathy. And, and whether or not with, with um, uh, these kinds of films, you want them to also take action and do mm-hmm. something and, and be active in the world and, yeah. and go out there and, and make. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah, I've been doing film and video um, I've been freelancing for about five years. Um, like I said, I have a, um, a photography background, but um, I am starting an MFA program um, next month um, at Broken College, the Steiner Studios, um, the Fierstein program. Um, there, It's a small program. Um, there's not a lot of women of color. I'm excited to be in the program. I'm excited to have resources and equipment and, um, you know, gain access to things and tell more stories. I think... Um, I'm excited to, um, you know, I'm also going to be writing, which is something that I, I don't have a lot of background in, but, um, you know, I have a, <laughs> I have a lot of stories, but, um, I, the one, like I said earlier, you know, Mississippi Masala had a huge impact on me. Um, I, there's a lot of artists, um, comedians, you know, Harry Kondambolu, um, you know, that I've been kind of watching and, you know, that have been talking about the way we've looked at South Asian characters um, needs to kind of be assessed and, and the impact that it has on popular culture. But, um, you know, growing up, my my family, my father drove a taxi for like 25 years. My, my grandfather as well. My uncles still do. Um, they drive livery cab um, in, in Alaska and in, in Seattle. And um, so I one thing that I've been wanting to do is a story about um, that drivers and kind of I know there's just like I've been late just recently I le- left something I've, I only take yellow cabs green cabs um, library cabs um, spe- specifically because of you know that history of of being raised by working class um, taxi drivers and just knowing that struggle with the medallion and um, so yeah I, I think it you know, I grew up working class and an immigrant and I don't see the the South Asians that I do see on TV are very, um, you know, they're going to be one dimensional. Um, they're doctors and lawyers and, and, and kind of like this one kind of um, sided character. But I like to see more people like me and um I think I, you know, the youth that I, I worked with for an organization called South Asian Youth Action, um, 
for many years and um, there they see communities in and around Queens that I've been working with. Um, now I kind of work more with Nepali youth, but um, I would love to do something that uh, that brings in like oral history and something where it's a collective process of kind of documenting an experience and um, then using that to create a script. Um, yeah. Yeah, that would kind of highlight something. I know uh, Quantico um, came out a couple years ago or something, and uh, that was one of the few times I saw a South Asian woman in a lead that seemed like uh, when I saw it, I saw uh, just a few episodes, but it seemed like she had a pretty, you know, rounded character. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's, it's, it's like a rare thing to see right. South Asian character portrayed in a way that's very complex. You know, most right. time, as you're saying, they're very like one dimensional, very like following stereotypes and right. such. And I, I recently saw the problem with the poo. Finally, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I finally understood a little bit better about you know some of the the dialogue around that character. And of course, like growing up, I know uh, you know having you know lived with uh, you know kind of very few South Asian representations and such mm-hmm. on media. I was originally interested in going into theater and, and media, and then because part of the reason or one of the reasons why I'd, I'd end up not pursuing is because there was not enough kind of groundbreaking of mm-hmm. South Asians. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of times in casting and such, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, the tendency is that the character is white, the character is, is you know, they have the very specific, you know, vision for the character. And, you know, it's very rare to get breakthrough, you know. Mm-hmm. But as far as representation in cinema goes, uh, any comments about uh, kind of how, you, how are you able to um, kind of look towards that, either things you consume or, or we can talk about like things you consume or things you're, you're working on and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, oh, here's what I'll mention. There's something that we talked about a little bit earlier, but there's this outroar from this very small corner of the internet yeah. about too much diversity. Yeah. And, and whether it's Marvel or Wonder Woman or in Star Wars, in the newer Star Wars films, there's woman front and center, there's a black stormtrooper front and center. Yeah. Um, and, and, First of all, if you're real fans of those those properties, yeah, you you don't have a problem with it because yeah. built into those properties is a sense of inclusion, a sense of justice, a sense of freedom. All those if you're upset, then you misunderstood everything yeah. up till now. So so I think that's good. But let's you know the three of us here know how important representation is. We know how important diversity on screen is. But let's for a second put the issue of that aside. And say, wasn't Black Panther just amazing separate from that? Yeah. Wasn't it just a vision that we had never seen before? And isn't the originality of that, even if you don't care about diversity at all, isn't the fact that we're getting new stories yeah. worthwhile in itself? Mm-hmm. Where's the problem? Exactly. I think it's unfortunate that there's so much focus placed on that minority of people. Yeah. And they're being amplified and they're being, you know, put into the spot and then that's influencing decision making yeah. uh of the of the studios and such. And it's unfortunate that there's such an application of that on the internet has given a you know, we talked I talked a little bit about someone about hive mind and how mm. uh the hive mind of the internet, hive mind of uh of uh these specific forums like Facebook or Twitter. Uh specifically Twitter, I th- I think Twitter and YouTube, the comments on YouTube tend to become very like vitriol uh facebook i find tends not to be as bad although you know the general communities sometimes people are willing to put their their stuff out there you know and 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 be very kind of uh but i know like many stars have have withdrawn from instagram because of that and it's so unfortunate that uh these people have so much power now and that 
the 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 hate and the and the anxiety and the it's causing anxiety you know mm -hmm. but uh what can we do really to combat that and how do you think that we can create a a, a move a counter movement if you will i mean uh you know trying to slowly slowly you know put our voices out there and mm -hmm. you know and totally move the conversation towards these things if anyone wants to yeah. Jump in, yeah well i like the idea of calling it a counter movement because yeah. you know i think um generally generally it's a waste of time to argue not that yeah. it's a waste of time to do something but it's a waste of time to argue with people like that and and try to use reason and facts because mm. they do not care about reason and facts so, so, so you're wasting your time to argue with them, but you can take that same time and use it to put something positive out, mm -hmm. to put something that does espouse your own beliefs out there and try to get that into the world. And, um, you know, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. There are more of us. It's just a matter of getting mm -hmm. us out to the polls. If you have an hour, rather than doing research and, and putting a, a response to a comment on Facebook for somebody in a red state where their vote isn't going to isn't going to change the needle at all anyway you could take that hour and try to help some local organization you could get involved in your local politics you could use that hour to just you know write a play that yeah. talks about this issue and now you're creating art and putting that into the world um, that's i think a better use of of time but i like the idea of considering it a counter movement to that yeah, rather than trying to face it head on just forget them yeah you know um, you're talking they'll, they'll a story. Die out. Yeah, you were telling a story about how uh, if you tell the story about your um, coach or a teen, a, a high school coach. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Tell a little bit about because I think that really speaks to how our craftsmanship and the importance of craftsmanship. Craftsmanship, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was uh, telling you the story uh, when I was in high school one day. We were in our English class. And we were all complaining because it was raining out. It was like our last last class of the day, and we were going to have to go home. And it was going it was raining out. We were all just kind of grousing about it. And my English teacher said, "You know, when I was in high school, I loved when it rained because I ran track." And I would get home and run home and I'd put my sneakers on and I'd go out for my run, same as I did when it dries, when it was dry out. And I knew no one else did that. I knew none of the other people and the other teams who I was competing with would do that. And it gave me an advantage to go out and do it because it scared away everybody else. And I and that always stuck with me. And several years later, I ran into that teacher somewhere in an event and I told him that story that I think about it all the time. And he was like, yeah. It had no effect on him whatsoever, <laughs> yeah. but I carry that story with me 25 years later. Yeah, thinking about how we can constantly hone ourselves and we need to be prepared to maybe go yeah. into battle almost. It feels yeah, like and sometimes. not be scared yeah. away by not be scared, things yeah. that aren't really all that scary. It's easy to get startled and it's easy to get dissuaded. And if you can push through, you have an advantage over everyone else that it it called out. Yeah, I definitely think honing our crafts and, and continuing to develop and such and... and um. You know, speaking for those voices, amplifying our own voices. So, if you want to talk about a little bit about how, um, you know, some lessons you've learned and uh, maybe any experiences you've had that uh, um, can tell a story about how you, what drives you again, returning to what drives you as we close up, you know, like what drives you and what kind of has taught you an important lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love art, I love um, filmmaking. It's, I do have a hard time speaking, though, because I'm always on the other side of the camera. Mm. Um, I'm not in front of it. And so I'm learning to be more comfortable. It's partly why I'm here right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to get easier. I'm trying to have, a, you know, be better at this and um, have it be easier if I do it more. Um, so and I think also, you know, just thinking about how I was raised, I was raised 
by a pretty conservative, um, you know, family that kind of instilled that I should kind of just sit there and be quiet. And, you know, I have an opinion, but, you know, don't be too loud. Don't, don't be too, don't take up too much space. So I'm always checking that. I'm always, um, you know, kind of trying to empower myself um, by using my voice. Um, and then in the process, hoping that it does something for others, um, whether it be sharing a story. Um, but I I think it's, it's really important for our own liberation as well. Um, you know, just also as a woman, when I was uh, an organizer, um, this girl was explaining to me that, you know, when you look around a room and in, in, in the class, you usually look at who is, you know, more comfortable speaking. And um, that usually is sometimes political, you know, who feels like that they have the right to speak, mm -hmm. who, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm constantly, you know, checking that. One of my guidelines when I was an organizer was step up, step back. And I, you know, I say that to young people, if you're not comfortable, if you usually don't speak, you know, try to speak. But um, if you usually take up too much space, then maybe you need to step back. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that people are not aware of that, but just those kind of, you know, dynamics in everyday spaces is, is hard to check and something I'm becoming more aware of. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think patterns in ourselves and in society are important to recognize and understand. I know speaking as a male, you know, sometimes I, I always remember um, in my classes in college, there was always a, a gender inequality. There was always a feeling that, you know, the men were speaking out a lot and the mm -hmm. women were not speaking out enough. And I, I definitely learned that lesson. I definitely tried to internalize that lesson of, you know, I know I speak a lot, so I, I definitely want to try to platform other people and yeah. platform women, platform everyone, everyone who get, get, give them a chance to speak. And, uh, you know, I think it's so important for for our audiences as well to listen and, and internalize that understand patterns in themselves and, mm. and society as a whole. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about as we close up just about uh, what's coming up for you as far as like, um, you know, um, the future and what you're looking towards, what you're planning towards. Um, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, now I was talking a little bit about going into um, storytelling and, and going into um, narrative driven films. So uh, if you want to talk a little bit more about that or if you want to whatever you want a little bit more about kind of like what 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 your vision for yourself even more broadly uh in the coming coming years. Yeah, so I'm um like I mentioned earlier I'm starting um an MFA program. Um this is my second time in grad school. So it's it's kind of a big deal also cuz um as a working class immigrant, you know, art is usually kind of looked down on and it's not taken seriously as a, as a career or something that you can, you know, pay your bills with. And so it took a long time to get here. You know, I'm in my mid thirties. Um, and that's kind of a big deal for me. So I'm excited about this journey, but I'm also excited to, to, you know, write some scripts and to tell, to create some films. Um, I'll have access to resources. I have a, uh, small scholarship, but I also have access to funds to create a film. Um, and I, you know, I have a huge community of organizers and um, activists and healers and, and folks in New York that I want to work with, that I want to bring along with me on this journey. And, you know, I'm open to see where it goes. I, I definitely, I have to, you know, I have to create a few films um, in school, but I'm hoping that this opens the door for um, other things and you know definitely want to do 
um, a feature film eventually, but it's just that I haven't had access to the kinds of funds. And, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so I'm excited for that process. Um, you know, I still freelance. A lot of the work that I do um, for organizations is kind of highlighting the, the work that they do. But I'm I'm very ex- inspired also by the work that a lot of these organizations are doing. Um, um, you know, immigrant immigration justice, um, birth justice, reproductive justice movements. Um, there's a bunch of foundations that I've worked with that are, you know, really kind of using the urgency of this time to to highlight and and get people on board with some really radical dope work. So, um, yeah, I'm just continuing along that path. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a lot of, uh, I applied for the Queens Arts Council grant, awesome. which got me a New Works grant for, which got me, I'm just going to be, this fall, I'm going to be releasing finally the the work done for that grant, Celebrity Sadhana or How to Meditate with the Hammer. So I did uh, <laughs> some poetry and meditate. It's, it's, uh, I'm calling it now a subtitle. The series title is called, the paparazzo poet meditations because it deals a lot with celebrity stuff and right. uh and about um meditations on like how fame on fame and and how um you know these people in the spotlight are, are people and how they they kind of deal with problems and their and the way we publicize their their scandals the way we kind of get them in this glass case and and look at their their human element of scandals so there's some talk about Winona Reiner skeptomania you know so there's some you know meditations on that and meditations on how I identify with these kinds of vulnerabilities and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you guys can, the audience can go look at my website, vjrnathan.com to keep informed with, um, you know, the publication when it comes out. And also awesome. Brandon, if I want to give you a chance to also talk a little bit about what's coming up for you and in the future and yeah. what's, uh, what you're looking towards. Yeah. It's something I'm kind of struggling with right now because um, this has been a, a wild year. We've done a bunch of music videos. We have some corporate clients that have kind of, come and went and hopefully come back some things are cyclical um and we get you know or i get so caught up in that that finding time for my own projects has been hard i just started taking a a writing class with these two great young comedians and uh it's about writing characters and that's it's not at all kind of what my end goal wants to be but i wanted a deadline and i wanted something that i could do um that would be short each week just to kind of force me to do it I, i would like to also get to a point where i could get to a narrative feature and kind of maybe that's two years away from me because I'd want to, I'm kicking around a few ideas. I'm kind of overwhelmed with ideas, but not really sure how to focus on any one of them. Does that sound yeah. familiar to you too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I go through the same thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, do I write that thing? Do I try to write that TV thing that maybe I could sell somewhere? I definitely can't produce it because it involves a plane. Uh, yeah. Do I, you know, do I make a low budget horror feature and just to get it done? You know, it's like so many things pulling me in so many different directions. And just trying to figure it out and trying to get focused. And then there's the studio space and we're doing events there and we want to be doing more shoots in there. So just figuring out. Oh, one thing I just started doing when, when we moved into our studio, um, the first week, my, you know, we, we needed some little posters and signs labeling different parts of it. And while I was sitting in front of Photoshop, I made up this one thing. And I, I made a poster of it and I put it in the window and my assistant came in the next day and she's like, wow, where's that from? And I said, oh, I just, I just made it and had it printed. And she's like, you should make t-shirts of that. And yeah. we just started making t-shirts. So I brought you a t-shirt, Jay. Thank you so much. And uh, uh, we're going to start, they're going to go big soon. Um, but uh, you, can re- you can see it reads, uh, art is a weapon against ignorance and apathy. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. It's and, awesome. Uh, thank you so much. But yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I believe it strongly. And so how do we, how do we do that? How do we 
create yeah create good, powerful good. art that can influence people i was telling you a little bit from uh you know um just to let guys know about the the audience know about radio for brooklyn so do you know that radio for brooklyn has a free iphone and android app so you no longer have to be changed your computer to listen to this uh program you can download the app uh for google play or for iphone at radiofrobrooklyn.org slash iphone and also the iphone app actually just got um updated so I believe that you can access the, the catalog of uh, back episodes to uh, Truth to Power Show, which uh, is available at truthtopowershow.podomatic.com and also on iTunes and, and all these. I believe it's on Spotify as well. I just added it to Spotify. That's awesome. So we have like about 30. This is episode 33, I believe, or 32. So it's like about 30 episodes up there. So I hope everyone will go listen. Uh, Ready for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So, if you'd like to support our mission so we can continue to bring you quality community radio, we invite you to make a one time donation or monthly pledge to readyforbrooklyn.org backslash donate. You can donate as little as a dollar, and every cent helps us continue to stay on air. So, please help support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. And remember that RFB is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your contribution is tax deductible. To the full extent of the law and also finally um ready for brooklyn has a newsletter so if you want to find out about new programs upcoming rfb events in uh, interviews ticket giveaways etc go to readyforbrooklyn.org backslash um newsletter so uh, also just uh, to let people know they can um follow me on twitter uh truth to power show uh and uh facebook vgr nathan poet and if you'd like to be a guest on ready for brooklyn please feel free to uh write to me at truth to power show at gmail.com so thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you for Thank having you. us, DJ. This is so awesome that thanks you do this. Thanks for creating this space. Yeah, Thank very you.